letter five of the outcast by william winwood reed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine letter five i remained three months at home and my father was very gentle and kind one sunday as we stood side by side in the churchyard looking at the grave he put his hand on my shoulder and said you were a good son to her i noticed that his sermons were more humane his mien and manners less austere and i heard the coachman an old servant declare that master was quite a changed man but before i left home his old severity seemed to be returning the bishop of t gave me a small living at stilbrook in somethingshire the rectory being out of repair i was invited by mr jameson apparently the squire for his letter was dated stilbrook court to stay at his house until my own was habitable i accepted this invitation a talkative neighbour on the coach told me that mr jameson was a london tradesman retired from business who about ten years ago had bought the manor of stilbrook and set up as a country gentleman but added my informant with a grin and sinking his voice to a whisper the gentry don't call upon him and he's not in the commission of the peace he then went on to inform me that mr jameson had one son a lieutenant and captain in the guards and one daughter who was lady of the house her mother being dead he said you'll find the bishop there spending the day he's come down to consecrate a church my companion then proceeded to elicit from me as much information respecting myself as i felt disposed to give him and got down at a village near stilbrook i supposed he was a lawyer or land agent or something of that kind i found stilbrook court a fine specimen of the old english manor-house and mr jameson who came out of doors to welcome me certainly seemed at first sight a fine specimen of the old english country gentleman he wore a blue coat with brass buttons and a buff-coloured waistcoat and a snowy neckcloth swathed around his throat he had also a full-blooded country-looking complexion but when he spoke there was beneath a false accent of rusticity a certain intonation which savoured of the counter i also observed in our first interview that he spoke with much hesitation and made long stops between each phrase the reason being as i was afterwards able to infer that on account of the bishop's presence he was leaving out the expletives with which he usually garnished his discourse for when he first came down to stilbrook supposing that every country gentleman swore he assiduously practised the habit and by the time he had discovered his mistake the habit was acquired and could not be shaken off i felt some little trepidation when i found myself in the same room with the bishop but dr lambton came forward to meet me and shook me warmly by the hand mr jameson asked me what i would have to eat and resting his hands in a peculiar manner on the table described the various dainties before him as if they were articles he wanted to sell he was that is very glad to see me hoped i had a pleasant journey heard that the roads were extremely bad and heavy after the rain then i heard him mutter to himself damn the dams can't keep them down the bishop took me out for a walk in the grounds after lunch he talked about my father and his own college days he described oxford as it was in the last generation gave me many practical hints respecting my parochial duties and made me promise i would write to him as a friend if ever i required his advice 
he was to go away that afternoon and we now saw the carriage driving round the sweep bidding me good-bye he hastened to the house and i walked along the gravel path darkened by rain to the end of the garden where i found a little iron gate opening into a wood but it was not an ordinary wood being planted with many foreign trees and bright with crimson rhododendrons in other parts of the wilderness as it was called nature was left undisturbed tiny little pathlets marked the runs of hares and in thick patches of bramble were their forms the beech mast of last year brown twigs and dry leaves littered the ground which was carpeted with moss and ribbed with the roots of trees one charming little dell that i discovered was filled with bluebells more beautiful in colour i thought than the flowers of the himalaya shrub brought up as i had been amidst desolate moors it gave me an exquisite pleasure to walk in the shade of trees to inhale their delicate fragrance to view their dark pillar-like trunks and fair edifice of foliage i stood on the brink of the dell and gazed down on the flowers like a blue lake lying in its depths a few others of these wild hyacinths were growing singly or in clusters on the sides of the dell mingled with young ferns of the tenderest green and one flower was growing at my feet i had almost stepped upon it a little way off the sunlight descending through a window in the leafy roof flowed through the wood like a silvery stream while around me the trunks of trees were flecked with patches of light i heard a chirrup overhead and saw a squirrel leaping nimbly from branch to branch running home to its young in the dusky dray sometimes the wind rustled faintly in the branches overhead and cast down raindrops shining like pearls as they fell i was softened by these sweet influences a tender melancholy stole upon me a memory never long absent returned to my heart which was its home mine eyes streaming with tears fell on the hyacinth growing at my feet i stooped down and caressed it with my hand o oh, delicate flower i said your life is short enough and i will not pluck it from you but if i could plant you in a garden where death and decay were unknown then i would gather you at once thus god gathers beautiful souls he loves them and takes them to himself dear mother i weep not for you but for myself i know that you are happy it is i it is i who am forlorn i put my hand in my bosom and drew forth a locket and pressed it to my lips mother i said send a ray of your love for me into some woman's heart that resembles your own and so brighten my solitary life then i lifted up my eyes and saw standing beside me a young lady of surpassing loveliness she wore a white muslin dress of the kind which my mother used to wear and from under her broad garden hat long tresses of golden hair fell upon her shoulders her face had a grave and gentle expression which i know not how to describe her complexion was pale her eyes of a soft and liquid blue such was your mother when i first looked upon her she was then only seventeen the purest the most affectionate of women and one of the most unfortunate i rose and bowed she shook hands as if we were friends papa she said sent me to call you we went towards the house she made room for me in the narrow path to walk by her side i furtively wiped the tears from my eyes she blushed and said i fear mr mordaunt that you are in much trouble my mother is dead i replied and she was my only friend your only friend she said timidly and your father 
i cannot love him i answered so much as i wish and i gave a sigh she sighed too our parents she said are our best friends but sometimes then she checked herself and said have you a sister ah no i replied if i had a sister then i should be happy for i would make her live with me here and what she said a little more gaily what would you make your sister do besides keeping house i would make her go with me to visit the poor and the sick to tell you the truth i am rather afraid of them and she would teach me what to do and then there would be someone who cared for me it is hard to be alone in the world she did not reply her father took me over the village and gave me an account of my parish prosing and swearing dreadfully the next morning miss jameson came to me in the garden followed by a maid carrying a covered basket on her arm would you like she said to be introduced to some of your parishioners i assented of course and enjoyed my second visit to the village more than the first margaret and i soon became intimate friends and indeed almost like brother and sister i stayed a month in the house and when i went to live at the rectory our companionship was not interrupted we were together all the day and i almost reproached myself for being so happy a few months after my mother's death but about the middle of august the house was filled with guests and margaret's time was so taken up that we seldom saw each other alone at the end of the month her brother came down with the honourable william fitzclarence his friend captain jameson was a sodden-faced dissolute-looking young man with a carefully cultivated lisp and a vulgar laugh he never pronounced the letter r except by inadvertence and never replied to a question without screwing an eyeglass into his orbit and surveying the other person through it with an air of mild astonishment as if he had never seen him before in short he had taken the part of the dandy as his father had taken that of the country gentleman in each case the impersonation was clever which is all that can be said fitzclarence was a character the heir to a peerage and a vast fortune he was what was then called a philosophical radical he sat at the feet of james mill dined tete-a-tete with the famous jeremy and wrote for the westminster review he was one of the agitators for reform and was also reputed to be a violent hater of the bible and the church a second tom paine in those days a radical aristocrat was almost unknown and i really think he was the first of the species the popular theory was that his head was turned and certainly his manners were singular and his language often extravagant as soon as he became excited in conversation he wriggled and writhed in his chair and when he finished what he had to say snapped his jaws sharply together like a dog at a fly though he disapproved of the game laws he had a passion for shooting and having quarrelled with all his relations was induced by the fame of the stillbrook turnip fields to accept young jameson's invitation the other guests were mostly city people and among them was an heiress to whom mr jameson anxiously directed the attention of his son for he was not enormously rich and the captain was enormously extravagant one day when i was dining at the house the conversation turned at dessert after the ladies had left the table upon the recent discoveries in geology which revealed the earth's antiquity and the creation of fish reptiles and quadrupeds in epochs separated by vast intervals of time fitzclarence expounded the matter with much lucidity and each guest was apparently drawing his own conclusions for himself when captain jameson blurted out then the world was not made in six days after all 
there was a dead silence and all eyes were turned upon me i said that the geologists must be mistaken if such was their theory because it was clearly stated in the bible that god had made the world in six days well then mr mordaunt said fitzclarence you do not agree with those of your brethren who declare that the six days in question were not actual days but geological periods how can they say that i replied when each day is described as having an evening and morning and when it is also said that god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it nothing answered fitzclarence could be proved more completely and concisely we may therefore take it for granted that the six days of genesis are not geological periods he looked at me with a questioning air i bowed and smiled and was going to change the conversation when he said but now if it were proved as an actual fact beyond the shadow of a doubt by the same kind of evidence as that which proves that the earth revolves round the sun supposing i say it could be proved that the world was not made in six days but that thousands and thousands of years intervene between for example the fish and birds of the fifth day and man who was created on the sixth what may i ask would you say then my dear sir i replied you might as well ask what i would say if it could be proved that a circle is square but supposing it could be proved please to answer for my argument's sake what then then i replied of course it would be proved that the bible was not inspired good said fitzclarence rising from the table well now i will tell you this it has been proved and he walked out of the room mr jameson poured forth a volley of oaths at his son for having set fitz upon his hobby the next day fitzclarence wrote me a letter apologizing for his rudeness and begging me not to think of what he had said the advice was kindly meant but quite unnecessary what he said seemed to me incredible and it soon passed away from my mind not so however with the man i observed that he gave up shooting and passed all the day at the house mr jameson who knew my father to be rich had always encouraged my visits but now his manner was changed and whenever we had any business to discuss he was careful to make the appointment at the rectory an infallible instinct warned me that fitzclarence was my rival and a gossiping servant confirmed it my rival i say for now i discovered that i loved margaret so long as we were constantly together i was contented with her friendship the days passed happily i did not attempt to analyse my feelings i did not reflect on the future but as soon as we were separated my affection forced back upon itself became craving and intense unable to see her or speak with her as before she became the constant companion of my thoughts and now came the fear that i should lose her altogether from my library window i could see into the stillbrook grounds every day at the same hour they walked together on the terrace he speaking with animated gestures she listening with attention no doubt with admiration he was a noted orator how could she resist his eloquence besides he was heir to a peerage and her father was a tradesman soon it was all over the village that they were engaged a farmer told me the news and declared mr jameson himself had hinted as much to him saying that before very long they'd hear wedding bells strange as it may seem from that time i became more easy in my mind it was a relief to be out of suspense and now my duty lay clear before me silence self-conquest resignation 
i even smiled at the thought that perhaps i might have to marry them at this time i read for the first time the imitation of jesus christ and became enamoured of the spiritual life i resolved to place my happiness no more in earthly pleasures and human affections but to seek only the divine love by purification of the soul and fasting and prayer and exclusion of mundane thoughts i resolved to banish margaret from my mind and memory when her vision forced itself upon me i took up the imitation or the bible in the solitude of the night i found it hard to abstain from thinking of her and i kept a taper burning opposite the bed to remind me of my resolution i tied myself down in the chair to be prevented from going to the window at the time when she walked upon the terrace in church i forbade myself to glance at the pew where she sat my whole time was passed in idle devotion and selfish cares for the well-being of my soul i almost ceased to visit my parishioners and yearned to seclude myself wholly from the world a few months more and my ruin would have been complete i should have become a mere god fawning devotee but this was not to be mr jameson called upon me one morning and said come parson i say you have dropped us won't you call over to-day and have a bit of lunch i declined ah said he i know what it is you don't like that infidel fellow but he's gone away and young hopeful's gone with him they had one day at the pheasants that's all what said i mr fitzclarence gone away but i thought ah yes you thought and so did a good many more but i'd never let my girl marry a damned infidel oh please mr jameson do not swear said i i am not swearing said he i use the word ecclesiastically just as you might in the pulpit though it's enough to make anybody swear the way those fellows go on with their cursed atheism well they'll find out their mistake some day but you'll come won't you let me tell margaret you will i looked up at him his little keen eyes were diving into mine my daughter he said with emphasis will be very glad to see you very glad to see you i will come said i he went out and i heard him chuckle as he went downstairs there was little attempt at disguise in his words or his manner margaret was mine at this thought the blood rushed from my heart and flamed on my pale ascetic face i tore the hair shirt from my bosom i dashed thomas a kempis on the flames i knelt down and prayed i jumped up and danced exclaiming she is mine she refused him for me as rivers released from their bonds of ice pour down swift torrents from the hills so the natural feelings of my heart so long held down by frozen piety coursed swiftly through my frame and made me drunk with excitement and joy however i calmed down and felt rather foolish as i took the imitation all charred and smoking from the fire i remembered that after all nothing was certain as yet and soon i became just as anxious as i had before been confident it wanted an hour of the time but i could not wait any longer and went up to the house she was in the drawing-room alone as i entered at the door i felt a strange faintness and fluttering within me in a few minutes my fate would be decided her look reassured me and the gentle pressure of her hand and the tone in which she said it is so long since i have seen you we conversed for some time i feared to speak and yet for my own peace of mind i knew it must be done that day and that hour at last i said with a bantering air margaret 
i hear that you have had an offer of marriage yes she said with a smile and poor papa was so disappointed and why did you not marry him i asked she blushed and turned her head aside i took her hand in mine tell me dear margaret i whispered she looked up and told me with her eyes then i clasped her in my arms i strained her to my breast i pressed my lips to hers and fondled her long golden hair oh raptures of a first and innocent love who can describe them what power have words to express the deep inner feelings of the heart i can only tell you i was happy that is all end of letter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine